In 2030, our church has a goal, 10,000 transforming relationships. Now they launched that goal back around 2020. And so for, for 10 years, the goal was to have 10,000 transforming relationships where, where we encounter people in the community and we so impact their lives that, that they respond to Jesus, they give their life to the Lord, or they recommit their life in such a way um, that, that their life is never the same again. Yesterday, while I was at a conference and I heard the president of Lifeway, a guy named Ben Mandrell, say this, people today are not looking for content in churches, they're looking for community. And they're not even looking for friendly churches, they're just looking for friends. And so my question to you today is this, as we wrap up this six weeks of Jeff's sabbatical and we talk, we, we talk today about transforming relationships, my question is, what is God wanting you and I to do to tra help transform lives in Montgomery County, in Texas, in the United States, in the world? And, and what can we use as a guide? Because it's one thing to say we want to, achieve, we, we want to accomplish 10,000 transforming relationships, but we've got to have a blueprint to get there. And so that blueprint, I believe, is found in Acts chapter 8. So I want to invite you to take God's word or look on the screen. Acts chapter 8, we're going to be looking at verses 26 through 40. Now, this story is, if you've been in church for a while, you've probably heard it. And this story ends with a guy getting his life radically changed and radically saved. And then this guy, church historians and theologians, would attribute to being the start of the gospel movement in the, in the continent of Africa. So ask yourself this question. What if today I apply what I heard and somebody that I talk to goes and brings revival or brings the gospel to another state, another country, another part of the world? How cool would that be? So in Acts chapter 8, look at what it says. Verse 26. An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, and he said, get up and go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to the desert called Gaza. So he got up and he went, and there was an Ethiopian man, a eunuch, high official of Candace's, of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, and he was in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to worship in Jerusalem, and he was sitting in his chariot on his way home reading the prophet Isaiah. The spirit told Philip, go and join the chariot. And when Philip ran up to it, he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and he said, do you understand what it is that you're reading? Verse 31 says, how can I unless someone guides me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the scripture passage he was reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb is silent before its shearer, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who will describe his generation? For his life has been taken from the earth. The eunuch replied to Philip, I ask you, who is the prophet saying this about? Himself or someone else? So Philip proceeded to tell him the good news about Jesus, beginning from that scripture. And as they were traveling down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, there's water. What would keep me from being baptized? Look at Philip's response in verse 37. If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he replied, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he ordered the chariot to stop, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, 
And the eunuch did not see him any longer, but he went on his way rejoicing. And Philip appeared in Azotus, and he was evangelizing all the towns until he came to Caesarea. So here we have a blueprint. Four things I want you to see about transforming relationships and how you and I can play a part in that. The first one is this, that if you and I are going to have a part in transforming relationships, our comfort zone has to be left. Notice what it said. The Spirit tells Philip, I want you to go to this desert place, this dry place of desolation, this place that nobody else wants to go to, this place that nobody else wants anything to do with. I want you to go there. Now, you say, well, what's the big deal about that? Philip was a preacher. He was, he was an evangelist. Philip was an early leader in the, in the start of the church. And if you read a couple of chapters ahead of time, you, or before chapter 8, you'll see that the church has started Thousands of people are getting saved. Revival is happening. Philip could have easily said, no, I want to stay where the revival is. I want to stay where it's easy. I want to stay where it's convenient. I want to stay where I'm comfortable. But notice what God said he wanted Philip to do. I want you to go to that place where it's dry, where it's desolate, where nobody else wants to go because sometimes it's outside the comfort zone where I can do the greatest work. And many times in American Christianity today, We love Sundays and Wednesdays, and we get real used to Sundays and Wednesdays, but did y'all know there's more ministry to do on Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday? That God wants us to do great things, and He wants to use us to do great things, but He wants us to do it outside of our comfort zone. It's easy to stay indoors where where the air conditioning is. It's real easy to wall ourselves off from our neighbors. I mean, it's amazing to me that we can connect with people all around the world, but many of us don't even know who our neighbors are. And God wants to use you and God wants to use me to get out of our comfort zone, to try um, some things that maybe it's, too, it's hard to do and we haven't done before, to go where other people won't go to reach people that nobody else will reach. So what's your comfort zone this morning? Do, do we sit in the same seats every Sunday? I was preaching at a service in Brownwood, Texas. And on Sunday morning, I got there early, which was a first for our family because we have the spiritual gift of being late. I'm not going to tell you whose fault it is, but it's not the person up here. I'm just kidding. So, um, so we go and we're sitting there and this nice lady on a walker comes up and she says, are you the guy that's speaking this morning? Yes, ma'am, I am. Well, move over. You're sitting in my seat as if the outlines of her family's rear end had been in the cushions of those seats for generations to come. But she was so caught up in the comfort zone that God couldn't move in their church. Could that be said of us? That we get so busy in our schedule, so busy in our our business as usual stuff, so busy in our day-to-day lives, so busy in our comfort of our routines and our calendars and doing the same thing the way it's always been done that we miss opportunities to, to make Jesus famous in the lives of people. And Philip has to leave this revival and he goes to this desert place of desolation, of isolation, And he encounters this man. See, the second thing is this. If you and I are going to be part of a transforming relationships, we've got to care more about people and their eternities than anything else. And he encounters this man, and notice what it says about him in Scripture. He was chief of the treasury of Candace. He was chief of, of the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. 
He was sitting in a chariot. So this guy had power. He had money. He had influence. He would have been who all the social media avenues probably would have featured stories on. He's the kind of guy that a lot of us would be intimidated by. And make no mistake about it, everybody can look good on the outside and have it all together on the outside, but be falling apart on the inside. And our churches have to become, First Baptist Conroe has to become a hospital for the sick and broken and not a country club for the rich and famous. Because there are people, no matter what side of the tracks they grew up on, no matter what they look like, no matter how they vote, no matter what their economic, uh, no matter what, are, what their economic status is, they have to matter enough to us for us to go to them. And he takes this chance on this guy, who many of us, by and large, probably would have just bypassed. He's got it all together. Surely he's right with God. But notice what it says about the guy. He had come to Jerusalem to worship. See, he was searching because all the stuff that the world had told him was going to fill him and was going to satisfy him didn't. And some of you may be sitting here today and you may have it on the outside and you may have tried everything the world says will satisfy you and fill you and you may be empty on the inside because we're all created with a God-shaped hole in our hearts. And it can only be filled by one thing and that's Jesus and him alone. And Philip encounters this guy and he looks different. He probably didn't believe the same thing Philip believed. And Philip takes a chance. And notice what he does. He goes and he invests time with him. He goes to the chariot. He invests time with this guy. You and I cannot have transforming relationships with people if we don't invest time to, to get to know them. And what we prioritize, we make time for. Aren't you glad that Jesus prioritized us? Because think about it. Jesus put such a priority on you that he was willing to die for you rather than live without you. But Jesus doesn't just die for Texans and Baptists, and he doesn't just die um, for Republicans or just Democrats. Jesus died for all. And he puts his premium on people, and we have to prioritize people. And instead of labeling what he loves, we must love without the label. And he goes to this guy, and he, he invests his time. And then he inquires, hey, do you understand what you're reading? He just started asking them questions. If you really want to know what makes somebody tick, just ask them. In the church, we get really good at giving answers, but we're really bad at asking questions. And did you know that people want to talk more about themselves than they do about you? And so if we really want to have transforming relationships, we have to be willing to ask questions. Hear where people are coming from. Hear their background. Maybe you say, well, well, well my boss doesn't believe in God. Why not? Have you asked him why he doesn't believe in God? Inquire, and then look what he does. He, after he, he asked him that question, then he introduces him to a man that could change his life, a guy named Jesus. And you say, well, John, like I, I didn't go to seminary. I, I, I don't know, you know how, to, how to share my faith, this or that. People may try to disprove the Bible, but there's one thing they can't disprove, and that's what God's done in your life. You have a testimony. You have a story. And people need to hear it. And so we have to care enough about people and their eternity because everybody in this room, listen to me very closely, everybody in this room, you don't get a free pass. Everybody in this room will one day stand before God. 
And you'll hear him say one of two things. Enter your eternal reward or depart from me for I've never known you. And if that doesn't motivate us to go out and talk to people and love people and care about Jesus, because if they hear, depart from me, they will spend an eternity separated from the God who created them in a place called hell. And the sad reality is we get more motivated by how long services go than we do about where people go. We get more worked up in church about agendas than we do about people and their eternities. So right over here is a friend of mine named Sam. Sam, stand up for a second. So Sam is um, Sam, and behind him are Bryant. They're the two greatest managers in covenant Christian football history. And this past year, something amazing happened. So my son Dylan had, had just like, he was about to score a touchdown and he got this bad cramp. And he's laying on the ground. Sam, Sam takes off like a bullet and runs out of his shoes to get to Dylan. Thank you, Sam. You can be seated. Because Sam cared that much about Dylan. He just wanted Dylan to be okay. When was the last time you cared so much about that coworker, That person who doesn't vote the way you do. That person whose lifestyle you don't agree with. That you cared enough to invest time in them. Because Dylan was hurting physically. But if they don't know Jesus, they're hurting spiritually. And they will bust the gates of hell wide open. So the third thing I want you to see is this. If you and I are going to have transforming relationships, then complete obedience to God is critical. Look at verse 27. In verse 26, the angel tells him to go. And he says, so he got up and he went. Down in verse 29, the spirit told Philip, go and join that chariot. And then verse 30 says, when Philip ran up, Philip didn't think about it. He didn't pray about it. He didn't consult social media about it. God said it and Philip did it. Back years ago, Alexander the Great had conquered most of the known world. And he came to a part of the, the world that he hasn't conquered yet. And he came to a very fortified city. A city that um, was well-armed and well-stocked with troops and with weapons. And Alexander the Great had a really small army, a really small contingent of men with him. And he makes his way to the city and he shouts, I demand an audience with the king because I have demands that he must listen to. And the king hears it and he, he, and he responds back, what are your demands? And Alexander the Great says, king, I demand that you and your men surrender to me right now. The king began to chuckle. Why should I surrender to you? We outnumber you. We're more powerful than you. Why should I surrender? And Alexander the Great said, I'll show you why. And he gets his men in a single file line. And he has them march. And as they march, they begin to march off a cliff to their death. One after another, after another, after another. After about 10 of those soldiers had marched off the cliff to their death. Alexander returned back. He rounded the rest of his troops up and he asked the king, do you see now why you should, why you should surrender to me? And the king said, yes. Why is it that soldiers would obey an earthly man more than Christians will obey the king of kings? 
Complete obedience is necessary. It's vital. God told Philip, I want you to go do this. I am asking you to go do this. Maybe for some of you, God has told you to start a Bible study at your campus, to start a Bible study at your workplace. He's told you to invite your neighbor over to dinner. He's, he's told you to be an example for your kids. He's told you to, stay, to hang in with your marriage. He's asked you to obey him. And maybe you've said no. Partial obedience is still disobedience. And there's a lot of people in the church that say, God, well, I'm doing this. God, I'm doing that. God, I'm doing this. God, I'm doing that. And that's good. But God wants you to be completely obedient in all things. Is there anything in your life that you've said no to God to? Alan told you that for the last 15 years, we've been, tra we've been traveling around. And what he didn't tell you, the backstory is this, that three years prior to that, God told me to go and I said no, because it didn't make sense. It wasn't logical because I believed that for God to do something, it had to fit my schedule, my thoughts, my agendas, that, that, that it had to make sense. I mean, God would never ask us to do anything that didn't make sense, right? And so I'm on staff at a church. I'm doing the work of God and I am miserable. God had told me, I want you to start traveling and preaching. I told God, there's no way. I've got a wife and three kids and we all like to eat. My boys, I mean, you can look at my boys and tell none of us Harper men go without many meals. We like to eat. And I told God, no, it didn't make sense. Why now, God? The church is happy. There's no parents that are mad. There's no drama. It doesn't make sense. And I told God no for three years. And I was miserable. And I'm going to date myself, but back in the days, we used to play this game in grade school called Mercy. You lock arms with your opponent and you squeeze until somebody says Mercy. And for three years, I played a game of Mercy with God as if I was going to win. I was doing the work of God, but I was outside the will of God. I was not obedient and I was miserable. And some of you in the room right now, you may be saved and going to heaven, but you may be miserable. Because God's asked you to do something. He's asked you to go to someone. He's asked you to start something. He's asked you to say yes to something and you've continually said no and you're miserable. But at the end of obedience is always a blessing. And maybe you're one step away from having your life radically blessed and changed by just saying yes. Lord, the answer is yes before you even ask the question. Those soldiers were willing to obey Alexander the Great at all costs. They were willing to obey the imperfect when many of us won't obey the perfect. But there's one final thing I want you to see. If you and I are going to be an agent in these transforming relationships, communicating how to have salvation in life is vital. Look at verse 30. When Philip ran up, he, he heard him reading the prophet and he said, do you understand what it is you're reading? How can I, he said, unless someone guides me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And the scripture passage he was reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as the lamb is silent before its shearer, he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who will describe his generation for his life is taken from the earth? And the eunuch replied, who is the prophet saying this about himself or someone else? So Philip proceeded to tell him the good news about Jesus beginning from the scripture. And then look what it says. As they were traveling down the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, 
There's water. What would keep me from being baptized? I love what Philip said. If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he replied, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You and I live in a culture today where many people have different beliefs of how you get to heaven. But what matters is what this book says about it. And notice what happened. He had gone to worship. He thought that by going to church and by doing a, 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 a ritualistic act that God was going to give him a pardon into heaven. You coming to church does not guarantee your eternity with God. Because church attendance, he does not consult when he, when he um, invites you into his presence. The people who hated Jesus the most in the New Testament were religious church people, and they killed him. Then he said, hey, there's water. Maybe I should be baptized. You can be baptized in every church from here to Houston and just get wet and not have your sins washed away. Because if baptism was a ticket, then the thief who died next to Jesus on the cross had no chance. But Jesus told him, today you'll be with me in paradise. You say, well, surely I'm going to heaven because I'm not as bad as so-and-so. Well, even if you're not as bad as so-and-so, you were bad enough to cause Jesus to die for you. He'd rather die for you than live without you. And so Philip says, hey, if you really want to have life, if you really um, want to know what it takes to get to heaven and be saved and guaranteed eternity and have life on earth that matters, it comes one way and one way only, and that's through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And he said, you got to believe, but you can't just believe here. Because the Bible says the demons in hell believe there's a God and they tremble. You can believe. I can believe that I'm skinny. That don't make it true. But he said, if you believe in your heart, why? Because if you meet Jesus here, it changes how you live out there. It affects what you do. The demons in hell believe there's a God but they've never put their faith in his finished work on the cross and his resurrection from the dead as the atoning sacrifice for their sins. That's why they're in hell today. And so I've come to you today to say this, if, if your eternity started today, how long will it be? For, or where will it be? Forever with God or forever separated from God? And only you can make that decision. And so he believes in his heart. He said, I believe that Jesus is the son of God. And then, then he gets baptized, committing his life to follow Jesus, an outward sign of an inward change. Maybe some of you, you've given your life to Jesus, but you've never been baptized. All it is is an outward sign of an inward change where you ch tell the world you're excited about your relationship with Jesus. And then notice what happened. This guy that was once sitting in a chariot, he was once puzzled. He was once discouraged. Did you hear what it said? Now he's joyous. You and I have the opportunity to bring transformational hope and peace and passion to people who are dead. You and I have hope to take what's dead and make them rejoice. God is inviting you and he is inviting me to join him on a rescue mission to make the dead come to life. And this guy that was sitting in the chariot and he's, he's, he's all in despair and discouraged. Now he's joyous. He goes off rejoicing. And what's Philip do? He just goes and does what he was already doing. Communicating the gospel. How do we do it? With our lips and with our lives. Charles Spurgeon said these words, a Christian is either a missionary 
or an imposter. So you're not at your job just to make money and make your boss happy. You're at your job as a representative of Jesus. You're at your school, students, not just to get a good grade and just do four years. You're there for the glory of God to make people know who he is. You and I are called to know Jesus and to make him known. And he invites us on this journey of transforming relationships. But the question is, what will you do? The question is, will you leave the comfort zone today? For many of you, it might look like saying yes to Jesus for the first time in spite of what the person to your right or left thinks. For many of you, it might, it might be joining in a ministry here at the church that he's been talking to you about. It means that you and I care about the eternities of people and just people more than anything. That we stop judging and labeling what Jesus loves. We stop looking at all the junk and all the stuff that the world says matters and we look at what really matters to him and that's their heart. That you and I would be completely obedient and say, God, whatever the question is, the answer is yes before you ask it. And he invites you to, and I to communicate where salvation and life are found. And it's going to start in this time of response.